So top of page 43. I don't know how this works. Who says the piece? The, the I say it? Oh, go around? All right. <laughs> I missed that. David, what? This is usually the hot seat, but we can go the other way. Yeah, yeah. It's, in the halacha, it says every time you turn, you turn to your right. So you ever get lost and you don't know if you turn right or left, turn right. And probably you get more lost anyway. <laughs> so go ahead. What's your name? Maria. Maria. Page 43. Yeah. You can read the Hebrew? Um. <laughs> Might not be a good idea this morning. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, okay, go ahead. Um, although each general category and each specific creation has its own degree of power and vitality, these do not constitute anything additional to God's essence. Rather, these powers are all themselves expressions of Havaya. For this reason, in the statement Havaya... Okay, can let, let's just stop before the, for this reason. Again, I don't know how it's usually done, but this, these, four, these uh, four lines... Let's just think about what it just says over here. Each specific creation has its own degree of power and vitality. That means everything has some energy with which to move, to grow, or even to exist. So you have animals that have certain, certain self-sustaining power. They can move, they can, they can make noises, they eat, and they function. Um, the trees have less mobility, but they're still moving upwards or they're still growing, and they're still functioning, they're still living, and they are firmly rooted to their sources, and they need the sun to help them produce, and etc. And then even things that are inanimate, that are lifeless, like mountains, earth, water, things like that, these things also have a certain functionality to them. The earth produces. You plant something, things come out. Uh, things grow. Correct. It's, they are not life. They are not alive. They produce life, but they're not alive. A mountain is not alive. How do you define alive? alive? Alive means that there is a certain connection to something that is keeping it sustained, and without that, it's, it's not sustained. Lifeless means that there is no source of life to it. It's just there. So water is not alive, although it, pre- it, pre- it presents life, it, it, it produces life, if you will, for countless billions, trillions of creatures who rely on the water for life. But it's not alive. So that so, means... So Hashem's not... Because I mean, we've talked about how Hashem is constantly like, renewing the energy of the world. Of everything, including the, that which is lifeless. Its only source is God's energy that oh, says, Ko. Okay. But it's not alive as in physically alive. So when you take a tree and you cut it from its source, it's now a dead tree. And when you take an animal and you when you take a cockroach and you finish it, that's now no longer alive. And when you take when a human being is 120 years old and they've concluded their function on this world, they are no longer physically alive. And they go back to the dust of the earth, which is again not alive. The earth isn't alive, although it produces so much life, as well as water and anything else that's lifeless. 
It's, it's, it may be a source of life, but it's not alive itself. Everything has its energy, and that's what he's saying over here. Each specific creation has its own degree of power and vitality. So, koach, koach, potential, strength, chayut, life, or, or again, vitality. These do not constitute anything additional to God's essence. These things that are um, alive or, or, or just happen to be in this world, like earth or water, do not add anything to God's essence because these powers are all themselves expressions of Havaya. They are just simply expressions of godliness. So, it, they, when they move or do anything, that doesn't change the essence of God which produced them. So, um, when you have a, let's say, a person who creates a table, and so I take, I've taken some wood and some metal and some plastic, whatever it might be, and I've created a table. And now the table is here. Has it changed me? No. Nothing happened to me. Nothing was added to me, to my personality. Oh, I can sell the table and get some money. But that's not the essence of me. My essence hasn't changed by me f- creating this table. Well, possibly it has. I mean, the act of creation... Whatever it is has a way of, of changing the person, the creator, the person who was created. For example. For example, if you're an artist and you create something, the act of creating that. Do, yeah, does does what? Changes you because what, you're. Ha, like in what way? Like if a writer who writes something I mean, and gets changed. It can change. It can change, it can change <laughs> your your financial status. Yes, that can, it can do. But that's not you. Change your emotional. Emotional, correct, but not your essence. So you're saying your essence. Your essence will never change. Yeah, that's exactly the point. It can change some external things about us, and it does. When you write something, and you disseminate it, well, you know, it makes you feel good. Or somebody may come and ask you, makes you emotionally uh, feel good, or whatever. But that's feelings. That's not your essence. If if your purpose is is one of an artist, and then you are continually engaged in the act of creation, you're fulfilling your purpose. That's right. That's right. So you've taken... That's right. You've taken your essence, and you have revealed that which is in your essence. So if you happen to be an artist or a writer, then the person has these talents that are inherent within the person. We are given a certain switch in our wisdom. Sometimes you can see it right away. You can see leadership in a young kid. And sometimes you can see artistry in a certain... I have a niece who's 20 years old, that one day said, that's an interesting picture. And she went and started painting it. It was like the original. She didn't realize she even had that ability. She never studied it, she never learned it, and she never felt that she needed to do it. All of a sudden it came. Now, you can ask great writers, and they'll tell you when they were five years old, they couldn't read, 
And when they were 10 years old, they wrote, and it didn't look good. And a teacher may have told them, that's no good. Or the parent may have said, that's stupid. And then at the age of 35, all of a sudden, they started writing something. They said, oh, wait, wait a minute. It was just profiled in last week's Atlanta Constitution, whereby a person, a woman, couldn't, we was illiterate until the age of 23. Because she went, and she was so embarrassed that she didn't say it, she just couldn't read. And then she went to some kind of a therapist or friend or whatever it was, and the friend, you, you have dyslexia. Now let me help you. And she, be, she wrote a novel, she just signed this contract for a million dollars with one of these publishing houses to write three books in the next year or two or three, whatever it is. So there are things that we discover within ourselves that these are really inherent. Um, uh, 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 from, they, they come from our essence. They come from our soul. We are, we're given talents. Sometimes we're able to discover those talents. And sometimes a person can do more than that. A person can be a good speaker and a good writer and um, a good thinker and whatever, and creative and, 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 and organize and, you know. But this comes from our essence. It's just a revelation of who we really are. But nothing changes within our essence. When we do. Didn't that in fact change you? When you come to the knowledge of something profoundly uh, inherent in you that you didn't know about, and now you're acting upon it and you're going in that new direction, did that not change you? The only thing you're that changed. You're a writer, whereas you weren't a writer before. You, yeah. You've awakened yourself to this new uh, ability inside of you. So now you're no longer the person you used to be. You're now a creator of writing. So you have in fact changed. The only thing that changed was the fact that you got to know it. It was always there. Is that not a <coughs> no. Your knowledge, your knowledge is an, the fact that you, you discovered, you revealed something that's been there before doesn't change the fact that it's been there. It's always there. So it always has been there. So it doesn't change your essence. It only changes how it re- is revealed, but not what's inside of you. That's the... That is soul. Your soul is programmed with certain abilities that it brings to the life of the person. In other words, our bodies are basically the same. So the, so the soul of a newborn would be the same as the soul of a 50-year-old? Correct. Your Correct. essence is your outward soul. Yeah, I'm sorry, your? Your essence is your outward soul. Outward soul? Outworld, as in outward soul. What's your inner soul? What's your inward soul? Your souls and your inside, your essence is projecting your soul. Just the opposite. The essence is like the essence, the 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 core, deepest part of the person. I don't think so. Um, well, <laughs> 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 this is the I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be semantic here. When, when, when I'm referring to the essence, that's what I'm referring to. I'm not sure what... If, if, if you disagree with it, the word essence means whatever, I, can, I, I get that. That's okay. I'm, I may not be the, the best wordsmith around here. But essence, when I refer to essence, it means the essential, deepest core of the soul or person or whatever it is. No. The soul does not have to develop. No. 
the soul. You're born with the soul that you add. You 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 can add things to your soul. That's that that are that's which is the reason why it comes here, here through your body. But the soul is the same soul. There are times it's explained in Kabbalah where a person can work so hard and so deep and so profoundly that somehow they are able to bring down with them or connect to a the soul of a greater person, a tzaddik or someone, and that way they have a stronger function of a soul. But their soul remains and nothing happens to that soul. That's the essence, or whatever you want to call it, of the person. The most inside, the deepest, uh, essential part of the person. A convert, one who converts to Judaism, we are taught there's a person who always had that within them. That's just a revelation. They always had a Jewish soul. For some reason, that Jewish soul was born to a non-Jewish parent, and now they are coming back to where their essence always was. But it's not like something new happened to their soul. It's always been there. So, there's a lot of... We're a tough crowd. Yeah, a lot of... <laughs> no, I don't mind the toughest, but I just hope that, you know, there's a lot of desperate faces around, like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's normal. It's normal. So, I have two questions. One is... And the answer to that question is what I just said before, that a person can work so hard that somehow things can change, but not in the soul. It's just revealing what the soul is already, but you can connect to something deeper or higher. So the greater question is, if nothing that we do in our lives really changes the essential nature of our soul, who cares if we keep the mitzvot? Who cares if we practice Judaism? Like, what's the point? A fantastic question. That's a very good, valid, legitimate question. All right, now we'll move on. No. <laughs> the answer to that question is, is precisely what we've been saying. The, the, the mere fact that the person has revealed within him or her this deepness, this... this, this uh, spirituality that this person always had brings that person to a, a greater awareness of the importance of the sanctity of the Torah and mitzvot. And eventually the soul is elevated to a higher level after it goes back up after 120. You don't really see, that's why we are taught there is no reward in this world. This is like, this is where we are on this shopping spree. For 120 years, we are going shopping. We are packing it in. And when we get out after 120, we are able to climb to a higher level, hopefully together with all the, the soulmates that a person has, is with on the, in the, on the other world, and we go higher. And that could e even be affected by people in this world. On a yard site, for example where one says the Kaddish, and one donates some tzedakah, and one studies Torah, this helps the soul be elevated to a higher level. So souls continue to grow and to go higher and higher. But only then is, is, there, is there some difference to the soul. Only after that can the soul be on a higher level and then see things from a whole higher, and deeper, more enjoyable, more spiritual perspective. And... Um, When Mashiach comes, then the reward comes to everyone who has ever functioned in this world, on this world. The reason why we believe in the resurrection of the dead, 
I guess I'm opening up another can of, uh, of, of honey here, is because the, the, the reason is because the person who, is, who passed on functioned in this world, made a difference. And then that person, therefore, should enjoy the, the, the fruits of his or her labor here, on this world. Or else... But after the resurrection. So there is a spiritual reward, and then there is also a physical reward. That's why, why it's one of the fundamental beliefs. Or else why you're here. For your spiritual, they can find ways for the spiritual to raise, to, be, to go higher as well. But it's all coming back down. That's the thing. Is there an announcement to make? <laughs> I thought, though, that in terms of there not being a reward, I guess my understanding was that we are rewarded in this lifetime, not in terms of God, like saying you will be rewarded, but like natural consequences of our behavior. You want me to show you people who are just incredibly good, beautiful people and are suffering from all kinds of things? We know them. We, we don't understand how these things work. But we, we are told that on the other world, things are from a different perspective completely, and the soul has that um, ability to, to be elevated and so on and so forth. You mean because of because of the um, souls being in different bodies? Right. Doesn't the soul have to go through an 11, 11 month cleansing process after? Eleven month is the maximum. Up to eleven. Yeah, months. could be eleven minutes. Could be any time. And what happens during? I mean, I mean, this is why we can only get through. <laughs> <laughs> you learn a lot. What goes through that cleansing process? <clears throat> Let me first address this issue. Uh, how does a person come down? Um, that's discussed um, extensively in the Zohar and in the works of the Arizal. And the Rebbe make, made reference to this. And in 1974, the Rebbe's brother-in-law, Rebbe, Rebbe's, Rebbe's wife's sister's husband, brother-in-law, um, he lost his mother. And so the Rebbe came to and talk with him, and he was prepared with a million questions. One of them was this question. How is it, how is it coming back? And I just happened to look at it last night. <laughs> I was going through the winter of 1974 with the Rebbe and all of his talks. And I, I was looking, and when I, when I realized it's 1974, I quickly went to that part, because I know that the Rebbe spoke about this on this and this day. And it was there. It's still there. Um, and it's a long discussion. Basically, the easy answer is that every person, the, the, the um, reincarnation that happens within a person, it's not the whole soul that comes to every person. The soul is made up of, of multifaceted dimensions. Different, they call it sparks, but the word spark doesn't really do justice to it. But so there are different, different dimensions. And each dimension 
comes down to this world in a different way, in a different generation, in a different body. And the reason why our particular dimensions are here, at this particular time of, of the world and this generation, is because we need to be exposed to that. So this soul needs to be in a male in America, or in a female in America, or in Canada, or in France, or in Africa, or whatever it is. And it has to have this kind of parents, and it has to have that kind of husband or wife, and that kind, these kind of children. And each one of them, as the result of the stuff that happens to us throughout the world, uh, helps that faction of this soul, that particular soul, in that, in that way. So there is a general soul, and then there are fact- factions of that soul that come down to this world in order to experience whatever it needs to experience. And therefore, everybody comes back in its own body. So we'll sleep, still be around, and we'll be able to look at somebody and we'll say, oh, we share the same neshama. Now, you asked how does that work, the 11 months? Well, it seems like it's kind of tied in together. She, I'm talking about, she's talking about the... Um, yeah. You asked about the 11 months, how does that yeah, work? I mean, are you reincarnated within, within that 11-month period while the soul gets cleansed? It, sometimes the reincarnation is part of the cleansing. Yeah. That's, that's hard to know. We don't know much about souls. It's not been given that 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 factor, that part of us, has not been given to us. That knowledge has not really been. It's in some stuff is in the subconscious. So a person can walk into a room and say, "She is going to be my wife," not because she looks beautiful or because she is beautiful or whatever. It's just because something clicked in the in this guy's mind, in this guy's brain. <clears throat> and he recognized her. Or you can look at a house, you know, husband and wife, and you can turn around to each other and say, we don't know how much this costs, but we are moving here. This is just perfect for us. That's, you know, that's, that type of thing can happen all the time. Or you can walk into a room and you can say, oh, where did I, where did I know this person from? And you're breaking your head. Happened to me. Happened to me. I was in Israel, and I went over to this. There was a, like a young girl who was a, a leader in some kind of uh, Bnei Akiva type of youth programming, and I said to her, "Hey, when were you in Atlanta?" She says, "I've never been to the United States. I'm sorry." And I, I could promise I saw her within a year or two. I, I recognized there was a recognition there. I didn't want to bother. I didn't want to bother her. Huh? I'm glad you said that. <laughs> I didn't want to tell her that. I didn't want to harass her. I, 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 as soon as she said, I've never been to the United States, I said to myself, now don't make yourself stupid. But I, I, I kept on looking at her and so I'm wondering, where did I ever meet this person? And, and over and over and over again, I, racking my brain, and I couldn't, I could not, there's no way I could have met her. Where she was from, I had never been. In that city, I'd never been to Israel. And it, I, you know, I just stopped it. Anyway, this is not for that. Well, way off, way off line now. Right? <laughs> it's it's very enjoyable. It's great. From every Sunday. Can I ask one more about the beginning? 
so we say the soul that you've given me, God, is a pure one. Do we all start out in our, our essence, our neshama, in the beginning? Completely. Unlimited potential. Are we all on equal footing? Do we come in with... No. Of course not. If you were equal footing, then the whole world would look exactly the same. We'd look like cows. Well, We'd all be the, the same. World impacts on us, you know, out of our control. It's not out of your control. It's deliberately. That's the point here. He's, what he's saying over here is things that happen to you happen because of who you are, and it was designed to happen that way. It is designed to happen that way. As the Talmud says, a person does not bang a little finger unless it's designed to happen that way. There's not a blade of grass, of the countless blades of grass in this world, that doesn't have a specific source of life that says, okay, now it's time to grow. There's not a little creature in the bottom of the sea, says the Midrash, that is, can be gobbled up by another one, that hasn't been decided by God on Rosh Hashanah that this little thing is going to be eaten up by that little thing. But do we all start out we not start out. We always, the neshama cannot be the essence of the neshama, which means the inner, deepest part, cannot be tainted. It can be stained, which is why the neshama needs to be cleansed. It can be tainted to such an extent that that, that, that soul has done, is finished, is, is moved off the belt. And it's... Like, you know, um, someone like, uh, let's say, Arafat, an uh, evil, wicked person who till today is responsible for death, or Hitler, people like that, th- their souls are, are not uh, repairable. They, they are damaged to begin with. They probably came down to this world with that type of uh, problem. But um, <clears throat> The, the Talmud says a very interesting thing, the Talmud in Gemara in Shabbos. It says that a person who is born in a certain time, a certain hour of the day, has tendencies to do this and that and the other. So the Talmud says a person born in the, in the, in the hour of red, that person likes blood. So the Talmud says, hey, wait a minute, if that is, then you're putting that person in a bad situation. Because that person can uh, hurt someone, like blood. A person can bite someone. And so the Gemara says, that's why there are um, moyolim, those who can do the bris, Rabbi Shisterman, and those who can... I didn't understand what you just said. Mohel? Mohel is a guy who does the bris. Who is circumcision. The moyol. Or the shochet, one who is a slaughterer. When I was in post-rabbinic studies, they offered courses. And one of the courses they offered was slaughtering. And the other course they offered was um, burial of the dead. You know, the Chavah Kadisha, the, the burial society. I took burial society in a second. I don't mind, I don't mind cleaning up human beings, but I can't, I can't take that knife. I learned all about it. As a rabbi today, I, I studied a lot of that, those laws, and I, I know how it works. I know how the, the knife works, and I know how the, 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 the sh- I know it all. But I can't bring myself to even think of that. I wasn't born at that hour, I can guarantee you that. <laughs> I also know a lot about the bris. I've learned, I've studied a lot about it, and I've, my father-in-law is a moyol as well, and, but I... <laughs> <laughs> even when my father-in-law offered, you know, he'll do all the work, I just have to slice. Uh, no, no, no. 
That's just not for me. So there are people who are born with that ability. They could be a doctor or whatever. So the blood doesn't really... The blood turns into a good thing, into a positive thing, into a holy thing, into a mitzvah. So no one can really say, oh, I was born that way, therefore. No one can blame anything. It's easy to blame the whole world, but whenever a person is evil, wicked, spiteful, hateful, those people are... uh, I was walking up the escalator on Friday from the martyr station. I'm sorry, from the airport up to the baggage claim where I was heading to the martyr station. It was extremely late. Uh, my flight had been cancelled from Florida and I was on a 2 o'clock flight. I, this is at four, in the 4 o'clock hour, 4, four, ten, four and I got an hour to get home. And um, I, was, I was trucking. I was moving. But I couldn't move on the escalator. The, the place is just, you know, when you come out of that train and the baggage, the place is just was jammed. So I'm standing there and I'm wearing my long, I'm ready for Shabbos, wearing my long black thing. My, uh, and I suddenly hear behind me, a guy says, you guys fulfilled many of the prophecies of the Old Testament, but you killed him. And I turned around and I almost became drunk by smelling this guy's breath. He was so drunk. And I have a rule, no drunk. You don't, you don't engage in, with any drunk people about anything. So I said to him, could you repeat that, please? I was up and he was down. It was easy for me to say that. And I, he says, you Jews fulfilled the prophecy of the Old Testament, many of them, but you killed him. I said, killed who? He, I knew already what he was trying to say, obviously. And in my mind, I already decided how I was going to answer him. I could answer him in various ways, but I already decided how I was going to answer him. That's why I'm telling the story. So he said, you killed my Savior. I said, well, if you accept this version. He says, well, I do accept this version. I said, that's, folks, that's okay. I said, then you'll also accept that he was a fellow Jew. Is that correct? He said, yes. I said, well, if that's the case, one Jew killing another Jew, why does it bother you? You love it. You want us all dead. That's fine. So, then I said, you know what? I think you owe us a big vote of thanks. Because now that he's dead, now that we killed him, uh, he can come back for the second coming and save everybody. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that what he was supposed to do in the beginning? Die for your sins? We did the favor. So he gets all excited. This was directly, I, I did that specifically to get this out of him. He said, <laughs> He said, well, it's, these, all these encounters take 30 seconds. He said, When is it going to happen? I said, It's happening very soon, but it's a different Messiah. <laughs> so he said, well, I hope you're part of the 144,000. They have this belief in yeah. whatever that thing is called. Um, oh, what? Rapture? Huh? Is it the rapture? The rapture, right. right. <laughs> I, I'm very familiar with Christianity, believe me. So I said, it's going to be a lot more than 144,000, and you better hope that you're part of it. And I can tell you how you could be part of it. You do the right things, and don't hate people, love people, and go out and believe in God and do what's supposed to be done, you'll be part of it. He said, what about the temple? I said, the temple is coming soon, but only after the real Messiah shows up. By that point, the escalator hit them, and I, <laughs> I, I tailed it out of there. 
but <laughs> I find these things find me all the time. <laughs> the, the bottom line is, you can take a spiteful, hateful guy who was looking for a fight and turn him around within within ten seconds. It just depends how you respond. It's true. Sometimes you have to just turn away, and say, "Have a nice day," and move on. But if you have the ability, you can instead of losing yourself or being a panicking you can really and that's what I decided to do you're not going to engage with a person who's drunk I didn't want to say to him have a nice day this all went through my mind while he was repeating I didn't want to say to him have a nice day because um, he was drunk and he can do anything when he's drunk I, I was not interested in, in getting involved in an altercation an hour before Shabbos i got to get home I can care less about this guy so I, instead I wanted to engage him to hopefully have him realize, get to his senses and realize that, that uh, he's being... To steer him in a better direction. Mm-hmm. Correct. So you can do that with anyone, really, if you have the, if you have the ability. That was very skillful. <laughs> <laughs> How about Ari want to talk about Christianity? To who? He avoids talking about Christianity. He, if you don't know about Christianity, it's best not to deal with it. When I was just out of yeshiva, I thought I knew everything as a young 20-year-old, whatever. And um, a Jewish woman called the Chabad house and was looking for Fred or something. I said, I said I'm sorry, but there's no Fred here. So I got the wrong number. I said, there's no wrong numbers. There's only opportunities. Turns out that she was an evangelist, a Jewish woman. Spoke to her for three hours on the phone, then went to meet her. I didn't know a thing about Christianity, and she asked me some questions that I couldn't answer. And that day, I went straight to New York and bought whatever books I can find. And within ten minutes, I realized where it's all coming from. I knew one thing. I knew that Judaism is our religion, and whatever they have, it's from us. So, obviously, we have the answer, and they don't. It's all fluff, I can tell you that. Or mistranslations, or, or, or misplaced words, and whatever. And uh, so I did a lot of studying on this. I, I made it my business to to learn about it. And then no one can get. You'll need it in Peachtree City. I don't. You'll need that in Peachtree City. No problem. I'm bring it on. I'm not afraid. That doesn't worry. That doesn't worry me at all. It's not fluff if they're teaching people to be good to their fellow man. Correct. Beautiful. Well said. I'm not talking about what they're teaching. I'm talking about what they're based on. And when they're based on Isaiah this and whatever they say over there is misinterpreted, misunderstanding. What they, if they teach, the Rambam says it's in, in his laws, in, in his rules of laws. He says that the reason why this is all here is that they should be prepared for a Messiah. The Muslims are ready for something to happen. The Christians are ready for something to happen. Now it's the Jews. We have to be ready. We're the only ones who are not quite as uh, anticipating as they are. And we have to get into it. And then the rest of the world is ready. What time does this class end? Quarter to? Okay, good. Okay, good. Why is the yellow escalator ride getting too long for you? <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I walked into my house at 5.18. Candle lighting was yeah, on Friday. That's how long it took. <clears throat> the escalator, you can't move anywhere, so you might as well. 
like to, to, to get, I know it's being recorded, because growing up, I, would, I mean, continually, I was told that I killed him, continually. Okay. Up in New York in a, in a non-Jewish neighborhood. Where I grew up, there was a bunch of kids who were really nasty one day. And they ended up screaming, you killed her. And I, I got very angry and I said, well, if, if he ever comes back again, well, kill him again. Oh <laughs> 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 then I ran home. <laughs> it, it, there are answers to answer in every situation. And... Um, if you familiarize yourself with Judaism and the uh, <coughs> proper Judaism, then uh, you know, I, I, I was I, I meet a lot of people, especially when I'm wearing my my, my typical yeah garb, and um, I'm, I've I've encountered countless amount of non-Jews. I sat right next to them and they asked question after question. I was on to, once on a plane. Next, sitting next to an Indian girl from from India, and they, when you it was an international from Paris to New York, and when you're on an international, they give you food and they bring out the special meals first. So they brought the kosher meal to me, and she says, "What's that?" So I said, "It's kosher." And I started explaining to her what kosher is. It's hard to give a crash course in kosher. There's a lot of things involved. Then her meal comes. It's all vegetarian. I said, oh, what's this? She says, oh, it's our vegetarian meal. I said, what does that mean? I said, why don't you eat uh, meat or... I said, is it meat, fish? Yes, we don't eat meat or fish. I said, why not? She says, anything that once lived has a soul, and that soul is whatever. I said, and just because the carrots on your plate can't scream, does that mean they weren't alive? Somebody pulled them, ripped them heartlessly out of the ground and killed them. Just because they can't say anything means that they that you can't hear it. Therefore, you therefore you say they don't live. How cruel is that? How mean is that? And what about that rice? She says, "No, I mean living, as in moving and whatever." So I explained to her that everything has a soul. Everything is has from God, even including the animal and the fish. And when you eat something for the right reasons you were able to elevate that piece of meat or that piece of fish. When you had the right intentions and when you use the energy for the right reasons, then that thing is actually being elevated. I know the cow can't necessarily appreciate that because it's a cow, but neither can the rice or the, or the, or the carrots. But the purpose is for us to elevate everything towards God. To which she said, I think we'll just agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very long flight. But the, the point is, you can. there are many, many people you encounter. And the question is, how are you going to utilize that time to make this world a better place? So some people who are filled with hate, you better find a way to either stir them away from there, or you get away from there. And you can do that. It's possible. So there are people who have that. They're, they're just ignorant. That's all these people are. They're ignorant. They need to hate. Let them hate. Hate. Let them hate. Hate. One of the survivors in the Holocaust, coming out of one of the camps that we were in, he said, "What a perfect. He lives in Dallas. What a beautiful thing." He said, "Don't ever let yourself hate 
the Nazis. Because if you hate them, you are just like them. Hate should be eliminated. I decided that once I went to Auschwitz, I removed hate from my entire thing. I only leave it for the Red Sox. Otherwise... <laughs> That's the only thing I really hate. All my passion and all my hate. <laughs> the Red Sox. <laughs> all right. Um... <laughs> I think Rabbi Ari expected me to get through the page. No. I'm not even showing you through the paragraph. He's, he's used to this. Sometimes we don't even open the book. So. <laughs> <laughs> Except he doesn't answer all our questions. He usually asks something. He likes to. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate right. that you're answering. Oh, no, he, he has the answers. Trust me. He, he probably wants to get through us. Anyway, so and the third and fourth line, rather these powers are all themselves expressions of Havaya. The powers that of, or, or the energies of what anything in this world contains is really an expression of godliness that was already there. So nothing really changes in the essence of God. Look, where we, look how we move to animals and Indians on planes. And, yeah. these, these things are all expressions of God. That means that they are expressions of God. They don't change the essence. It's like somebody using the table that you created. Does that change you? Of course not. But it's an expression of your essence. Yeah, I know, but once the expression is out there, nothing changes within the essence of the one who produced it. And similarly with God, he doesn't change. What he's trying to say is God is not affected by anything that this world is or isn't. Oh, then why does God get angry? And why is God happy? And why does God have nachas? And nachas is a feeling. That he can get. That's okay. Because he is excited that we are. He's happy that we are happy. And he is unhappy when we are unhappy. That we know. But nothing changes within the essence of God, um, which means that he remains the same exact creator that was there when the world started and will be there as long as this world continues. Nothing changes within him which within ourselves things change within not in our essence again which means the inner part of ourselves but things do change within ourselves based on uh, functions of this world things that happen <clears throat> or things that don't happen people that we meet people that we want to meet could meet should meet so we do change or things that we find within ourselves, we discover within ourselves. Our status changes, our financial financials change, for crying out loud, uh, pretty badly these days. These things do happen. Do, these things don't happen to God. Nothing changes. It's the same God. All right. Do you continue here? Sure. For this... For this reason, in the statement Havai is Elohim, the name Elohim is in the plural form, signifying that the powers that enliven all species created, formed, and made during the six days of creation, as well as each specific creation, whether in an inanimate, vegetative, vegetative animal, or human, are all expressions of Havai. Even now, it is he who brings, brings them into being exactly as they were first created. 
Okay, so the verse says, uh, uh, we say it in Olenu, we sing it all the time. Havaya is Elohim. Now, if you think about those words, God is God. Elohim is God. Hashem is God. You should know today, take it to your heart, Ki Hashem Hu Elohim. That God is God. Is the God, Bashamayim Imal, on the heavens above, Ala Aretz Mitochat, and from the earth below, Ain Od, no more. Know that Hashem is Elohim. Hashem is the God. What's the difference between Hashem and Elohim? They're both names of God. So it is explained in Kabbalah that Hashem, Ki Adoshem, that name, Yud and He and Vav and He, which is Havaya, that name Havaya, that is the essence of God. And Elohim, the, another name of God, is the um, manifestation of nature. Judgment more nature. Not the essence of God. It's a manifestation of God. <clears throat> and what the verse really is saying is that Havaya, the essence of God, is the same thing that you see as nature. Elohim. That is that which creates nature. Bashamai Mimal on the heavens above. And on the earth below. Eno, there's nothing else, nothing more. Hashem, the essence of God, is just manifesting itself in the Elohim, or in the nature. In other words, in the concealment. So when you look out there, you only see sun, and you see the stars, and you see the planets, and you see trees, and you see a road, and you see a wall, and you see people. But really, that all is Havaya, it's all the essence of God. And Elohim is in plural. He says, Dame Elohim is in the plural form, signifying that the powers um, that alive in all species, created and formed and made in the six-day creation, are all really from Havaya. They all, they all stem from the essence of God. So there could be all kinds of things out there. The species are everywhere, and all different types. There's the inanimate, and there's the vegetative, and the animal, everything. But it's all from the essence of God. But nothing changes within God. <clears throat> are all expressions of Havaya. Even now, it is He who brings them into being exactly as they were when they first created. He continues, even the Elohim, which you think is creating things, or producing things, the big nirvanas, and, and the big new stars that are being born, and the, and the new animals that are being... It's all continuously created by Havaya. It's all from the essence of Hashem. And the essence of Hashem doesn't change. That means it continues to create the same way created when He started the creation. So when we say in the verse that God is the one who creates, it is an active creation. Since nothing changes within Him, so He doesn't get, like, tired. Oh, I've worked so hard, now it's time for rest. That's why we have Shabbos, so just rest up. That's not what happened. That's a a very superficial way of looking at the Shabbos. You've worked so hard for the six days, now it's time to rest. If that was the case, then I want to rest by uh, driving to Montana. Or I want to rest by um, painting. 
which is those are things that are forbidden to do on, on the Shabbos. So that's not what, what what's happening here. What's happening here is God wants it's a higher level. Shabbos is a kodesh. It's holy. What makes it holy? That God brings into this world a holiness that wasn't here on Friday until five o'clock, and won't be here on Saturday after six, whenever whenever Shabbos goes out. So it's not that God get tired. All right, now, oh, the elephant was really tough. Okay, it's time to rest. That's not that's not the way it worked. God says, and it, it all happened. This it's that's. It's a, should it be a big deal for God to create? He's God. He can create anything. It's not difficult. Not, it's not, it's not, it doesn't make him weary. And the same thing is with the continuous functionality of this world. Why couldn't he continue to function? Because it's hard to keep up. You need a good computer to keep up with all the blades of grass or with all the little creatures that are in the sea that some of them haven't been even discovered yet. That's not a big deal for God. That's just a little small part of Him. He just said it and it happened. So God continues, no change, nothing changes, not like humans or anything else in this world that can develop. I, I don't want to use the word evolve because that can give a wrong impression. But the things develop and over time. Skin colors can develop and body shapes can develop and... Um, Things can be learned and taught on each level. Those are things that are that are happening. Changes. But God doesn't change. Nothing of Him changes. So, this is slightly off topic, but if... Oh, no, we can't go off topic, can we? <laughs> <laughs> um, if everything that happens is part of God's plan, every interaction that you have, every person that you encounter, every... But we, but assuming we also make moral decisions every step of the way, and there is the concept of free choice. Mm-hmm. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Before one takes the next step, whatever that step may be, is it advised to kind of <coughs> try to get in alignment? with what God's plan is at that particular moment before you take the next step? In other words, to be almost in continual state of prayer and connection as one is living their life, so it doesn't appear to be... You, I know my question. you understand my question? Of course, I understand very well. You, you can't, you'll never understand and know God's plan, no matter what you do. Uh, except one way. If you're familiar with the Torah... That's God's message. That's the blueprint of this world. The Alter Rebbe, the Rebbe who was released from prison, uh, we marked his release from prison this week, on Thursday. When he was in jail, they realized that they're not dealing with a common criminal here. They're dealing with an unbelievable personality. And many of the high-ranking ministers and officers came to see him privately. One time, they brought him the map of the United States. Um, United, this is now 1798. The United States was, became a country, of course, in 1776, 20-something years later. And at that time, there was a, a division of states in a certain way in, in, that, in that period of time. And they brought it to him. And he looks at it, and he says, uh, there's a mistake here. 
I think it was Mississippi, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> he says, <laughs> anyway, so I'm going to offend somebody sooner or later. Anyway, so he said, he said, there's a mistake here. So they asked him, have you ever seen a map? He says, no. So they, they <laughs> was an old rabbi from some shtetl, no. Anyway, a few days later, sure enough, in the mail came a correction. And it was, he was correct. So they went back to him and they said, like, how do you know? How do, how do you know this? He said, the first letter in the Torah is a bet, beration. And it's a big letter. It's written in, big, in a bigger font than the rest of it. And in it, there's a big empty space. In that space of the first letter of the Torah, there's a map of the whole world. That's where I saw it. Now, trust me, I read the Torah all the time. I have read the Parsha Bereshit many times, dozens of times. It ain't there. It's not in a Sefer Torah. It's not in a Chumash. Not in a book. It's nowhere. But when you know the Torah the way that Rebbe knew the Torah, everything is in there. That's how he knows it. In other words, if you want to know God's, what he wants from you or me during that time, you might not know it. But if you want to have any idea, that's where it is. It's all in the Torah. That's his message to the world. It's eternal. That doesn't change either. Just like he doesn't change, his wisdom doesn't change. And the Torah has it all. And so if you're in a, a given situation and you want to know how to function, you function according to Torah. Now that doesn't mean that what's going to happen next is what you think is going to happen. And it usually isn't. But moral choices are choices that we do make based on our choice. In other words, we don't know what God has in plan. We just choose. And God knows what we're going to choose, but we are going to choose it. It's a difficult concept. That, that stuff is talked about, thrashed about a lot. Curious in Hasidism, it, because you know, a lot of us think in images, and if we grew up with this, or the, you know, we were taught like God's this man of the sky, and we've rejected that, and yet believe in God. I'm curious in Hasidim, do, do you, they talk about an image to conjure up in your mind when you're speaking of God? Because whenever I hear of the creative powers of God, it, it's it's hard for me because I I reject the man in the sky, but I don't know what to. Envision. The Torah talks about the man in the sky. The Torah tells you he's happy, he's angry. He has a hand, he has, he has uh, uh, a beard. There's all kinds of things in the Torah. Um, he's strong, he's wise. The, these are words that you hear in the Torah all the time. That's just to give us a, a picture. But once you get past the pictures, you know, you, when you're a young kid, you need pictures, picture books. But once you get mature, and you get past the pictures, you have to think about... And the Torah, for example, the Torah... In the, in the book of Devarim, the last book of the Torah, talks about how God is a fire in the sky. He's not a fire. He's much beyond that. But these are all given to us as um, a, 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 like signs, postcards, to, to understand God on a deeper level. And um, it comes to a point where, you, where we, we lose any kind of description. That's what God is. That's when you, when, when you get to faith. Faith is not based on knowledge. Something is evolving over there. <laughs> I shared you about that before. <laughs>
now what I think I'll hear the <coughs> coffee. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad we're talking about Hasidism because I don't have much exposure to it, and I, it makes me wonder about this book. So these were like a shiur given by Rev Schneerson, and did he speak with notes, or did he just speak without notes? Or? This is the fourth Rebbe of Lubavitch. Mm-hmm. He would the, the 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 way it worked with the middle five Rebbe's. The first one and the seventh one were different. The seventh one being the Rebbe. But the way it worked was they would usually write out what they were about to say. And it would be available. They would say it on a Shabbos or on a special occasion. And then it would be, they, they would give it out to be copied. There was no copying machines. There were, the people, there were scribes who would, who would do this for a... That was their function, to write. And then it would be disseminated. He probably wrote it before, I would imagine. And then when after when you speak, things come out come into your mind. After he would correct certain things, or add certain things, or take out certain things, and then he would say, "Now go ahead and write it up the way it is." Um, it's not like a shiur the way you you would attend a class, let's say. It would be similar to something like this, though, in his day, and he would sit at the table, and no one else would be sitting. Everybody else would be standing around, and. He would do it in a sing-song. And they might have sang a song or two before, just to put people in the mood. And this would be a deep, thoughtful, you know, kind of thing. The way the Rebbe worked, and I was very, very privileged to be part of the team that transcribed his words after the Shabbos. The Rebbe would, you would have no clue what he was going to say. He, he did write some notes. He would have a little piece of paper, probably about the size of from here till about here, just a little thing, with 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 which we would write one or two words, just you know, just the themes that he was going through, and then, and nobody would even see that. There was no notes. He would keep it in his siddur or something that he brought with him, and then he would begin to talk for about a half hour or so. And then um, they would sing a song, and he would say, L'chaim. There were benches uh, in front of him where hundreds of people were sitting, and then around that were pyramids uh, where the rest of the thousands were standing. And um, people would sit and say, L'chaim, hold up a little cup, and they would nod and say, this would spend the whole song either doing that or... He would do one of three things during the songs. Either uh, this, you know, just acknowledging and nodding to the person, or he would sit like this. He'd be thinking, you know, you you can see him thinking. Or he would be clapping and, let's go guys! And he would be energetically waving his hands and clapping his hands to 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 the beat of the tune to get the tune, and everybody would stand around jumping and dancing and, and singing, you know, get to the spirit. <coughs> then he would start speaking again. Another half hour, 45 minutes, whatever. And then he would, the, the same thing would repeat itself. And then again. And then again. All in English. And then at some point, he would indicate to one, one of the main guys down there to sing a song, and he would, he would deliver a Hasidic discourse. The other talks didn't necessarily... <coughs> contain Hasidic. 
It could have been something on the Talmud. It could have been something on the Rashi of that week. It could have been something about Israel or about America or whatever. But when he got into this one, his whole entire demeanor cha- would change. As soon as the song started, he, he, you would look at him. His face would turn colors and he would put, uh, hunch down. He would slightly move his head. Eventually he closed, would close his eyes and the entire crowd would rise. Even the old men in the back. Everybody stood. By the time that song was over, he would go, it would be a different tune as well. And that was like, you know, a very dramatic moment. And he would deliver this kind of Hasidic discourse that that you're learning, pure Hasidic Kabbalistic stuff. So that's how it worked. And then after after Shabbos, you got no notes. You got nothing. You you would have to remember everything he said in those few hours that he spoke. And sometimes it would be a a yomtev. And it would be three days like it was before. And he would speak, he would do this three or four times. Various talks within a fabrengen of a four, five, six, or seven hours each one. That was, that's called challenge. (laughs) Now this is written by him. This was transcribed by that Rebbe. There's very little that the Rebbe, our Rebbe, transcribed. You're talking he, about a, a later Rebbe. The, the Rebbe, the current Rebbe. You said you were on a team that used to transcribe right. after these events, so y'all would sit and try to recreate... Uh, oh yeah, we'd have to go through that. We call it Chazara. Chazara means... Is happening now? Is he... No, he's, he passed away. Right, okay, but you're saying it would go in every generation. Oh yeah, they always had people who were part of the team to transcribe. Even if the Rebbe himself wrote, there were things that he wouldn't put in there because he said it, but oh, the Rebbe said it, we want to know what he said. And if y'all wrote it, did he look at it afterwards? Sometimes. Sometimes he would, and he would change things, or he would add things. That, that, that could have happened as well. So the, but the contribution of this series is to have it in Hebrew and in English. He wrote it in Hebrew. He did. The, the, the Rebbe's would write in Hebrew, but they would speak all in Yiddish. Even the Baal Shem Tov, he spoke in Yiddish, but he, his words are written in Hebrew. When you use the word Rebbe, is that like a head rabbi? Yeah, the chief rabbi, the main rabbi. Chief rabbi. The main rabbi, yeah. Thank you very much for having me. I really, you have to make some.